You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. Bye, uh... Haven't had a chance to meet you yet. My name is Jake, and I'm just so glad to be with all of you today. Um, as uh, already Alice has said, but we, we love this Sunday as students are returning. Uh, students have been away for the summer. It's good to see you again. We missed you. Hope you had an awesome summer, and we've been praying for you, and, and we can, we'll continue to do so as this uh, new school year begins. And then for those of you who are visiting for the first time, uh, especially if, uh, if you're a freshman or you transfer student into UT, and this is like you're at church the Sunday before classes start, let me just say, way to go. Way to go. I mean, that's a big deal. I know uh, starting another chapter of your life is an opportunity to kind of, you know, evaluate and decide what's going to be important to you and what you're going to prioritize and your decision to be here with us worshiping God. I think it really honors God. I think it glorifies Him. And also, once you know, it's encouraging to us. We love that you're here. Just a couple of things real quick. I want you to know that we have a real heart for college students. As a church family, we desire to, uh, for you to experience the love of God and for you to experience the grace and belonging found in the family of God and the freedom found in Christ. We want you to experience that during your college years and, and beyond. And so one of the things that we aim to do is, is you know, do our best to help you get connected to uh, friendships that will help you walk with Christ throughout these years, and even mentor relationships, if that's something that you're interested in, that we have some people in this church who are a little bit further down the road and would, be, would love the opportunity to uh, get time with you, uh, disciple you, mentor you, whatever you're looking for from them. That's, that's a heart. That's part of our heart for you. And so we want you to know that that's something that we want for you because we want to see you thriving emotionally and spiritually and relationally during these college years. And also, just to you know, be really candid with you, I would say I uh, also want you to know that we could use your help. <laughs> How's that for just being honest? We're, we, uh, we, uh, we have a big dream as a church. You've heard Alice mention it earlier, but our dream, or, or really we, the way we put it, is that we have a big prayer. And our big prayer is to see the day when God's kingdom comes and his will is done in Austin as it is in heaven. And so though I said that we really want to see you thriving emotionally and relationally and spiritually during your college years, we really want that for our whole city and every single student and the UT campus and every person that the rest of us work around or live around or know in our family or our group of friends. And uh, that's a big prayer that we can't, uh, well, we, we couldn't, we, we're not going to be able to do apart from God's work and getting as many people involved as possible. And so that's why I say we could use your help. See, the reason um, this is our big prayer is because Jesus taught us to pray this, right? I mean, this is just a contextualized version of what he said to pray in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, when he said, you know, pray, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. We just say in Austin as it is in heaven. So we, this is our big prayer as a church because that's what Jesus taught us to pray. But it's not the only reason why that's our big prayer as a church. It's not just because Jesus said to pray this, but why Jesus said to pray for this. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever wondered, okay, what, what does it actually mean to pray for God's kingdom to come? Like if I was to ask you, what is God's kingdom? What would you say to that? Or like if I was to take that mic and pass it around and just say, yeah, I'd like, I'd like you just, can you just take a minute and explain for all of us, when we pray God's kingdom come, as will be done in Austin as in heaven, what would that look like if that were to happen? Would you be able to describe that? Would you feel confident or would you like pass that mic? Don't worry, I'm not gonna actually do that. So, but See, my guess is that you might struggle trying to put that into words or really feel confident in how to answer the question, what, you know, what is God's kingdom? What would it like for his kingdom to come? And the reason why I assume you would feel that way is because I know that I <laughs> felt that way for a very long time. Like, I grew up in the church. I, uh, I've been a Christian since I was like five years old. My dad is a pastor. He, in fact, he, he taught here last Sunday, which was really cool. It was the first time he ever taught at our church in their 10-year history. And so it was fun having him preach here last Sunday. But like I grew up in a, with my dad as a pastor in the church, Christian since, and for the longest time, I just had this really vague, kind of ethereal, abstract, squishy, if you will, <laughs> idea of what the kingdom of God is. Like, it just kind of struck me as like, I don't, you know, just spiritual language. And, and if I'm really honest, kind of unimportant. And as my years as a pastor, what I have found when I've had this kind of conversations with y'all and with others is that most Christians feel that way. That most people have just kind of a vague understanding of what the kingdom of God is. And let me just say, um, you know, not to throw shade at anyone, but uh, that's weird. Like that's, it's, it's, it's odd or, or Tim Mackey, when talking about the kingdom of God, if you know who he is, he just says, it's silly. It's silly. And the reason why is because uh, Jesus talked a ton about the kingdom of God. In fact, you might not know this, but it's the number one thing that he talked about. More than anything else, he talked about the kingdom of God. In fact, uh, the king, word kingdom is used 122 times in the four gospels. 90 of those times comes directly from Jesus' mouth. Uh, he is talking about the kingdom over and over and over and over again. In fact, just to highlight, I get the importance of the kingdom of God to Jesus is that uh, his very first recorded words we're about the kingdom of God. Then in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, we have the very first recorded words of Jesus. The reason I say this, this is just highly, widely regarded that Mark was the first recorded eyewitness account of Jesus' life. So it's the first one written. And the very first thing Jesus says in that book is this. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Very first words Jesus said in recorded history. Kingdom of God. Seems like it was important to him. Which is why it's odd 
It's weird. It's, it's strange that we're fuzzy about it. And maybe it's not as important to us. As a church who has a pr- big prayer, a big vision of seeing God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven or in Austin as it is in heaven, it seems important for us to really have a good idea of what the kingdom of God is. And so this morning, as we begin this like, two-week vision series, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to seek to, we're going to ask and we're going to seek to answer three questions, okay? First question is, what is the kingdom of God? Second question is, why are we to pray for the kingdom to come? And then the third question is, how do we participate in its coming? Sound good? Y'all good with that? Okay, well, let's start with that first question then. What is, what is the kingdom of God? Well, uh, the best explanation that I have heard of the kingdom of God actually comes from Jesus in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, verse 9 and 10. It's when Jesus says, uh, your kingdom come, speaking of the Father's kingdom, your kingdom come, and then he follows that statement up with the statement, your will be done. See, Jesus links those two ideas hand in hand because God's kingdom come, it, it, God's kingdom comes where his will is done. To, to quote Dallas Willard, the great philosopher and author, this is, this is what he says. He says, God's uh, own kingdom or rule is the range of his effective will. Where he wants done is done where what he wants done is done. That's where, that's the kingdom of God. So, you know, put it really uh, kind of plainly. What's the kingdom of God? It's the, the kingdom of God is the space, the space where God's will is done. And that could be like your own life, right? Person's life. That could be a family, in a family. That could be in a church family. That could be in a, a city where what God wants done is done. That's where the kingdom of God is found. It's the space where God's will is done. Okay, got that? Now you know. So when I ask you, what's the kingdom of God? You got the answer, right? Perfect, perfect. So you learn something. You show up at church. You learn, you learn something. That's good. No. Okay, first, that's the first question. Second question. If... Uh, that's the kingdom of God, then why do we pray for his kingdom to come? Why would we pray for God's kingdom to come? Now, I'll spend a little bit more time on this because we really have three answers for you on this. And the first, the first answer is this. We pray for God's kingdom to come because it's unlike any other kingdom. It's unlike any other kingdom. And the reason why God's kingdom is unlike any other kingdom is because the king of this kingdom is unlike any other king. See, uh, we are to pray uh, because for God's kingdom to come because uh, it's, it's the best possible thing that could possibly happen because Jesus is the best. See, Jesus is unlike any other king. Well, he wasn't born in a a palace. He was born in a manger. He wasn't born to royalty, uh, but to peasants. Jesus, uh, 
When he came up, he wasn't living in some posh place, but as he said, uh, he had no place to lay his head. And when Jesus uh, began gathering followers, he wasn't building an army, but people who would, he would train and shape to love really well, even love their enemies. And when Jesus was opposed and even arrested, he didn't fight back, but he willingly died for the very people that had come to kill him and who had rejected him and gone their own way. See, Jesus is unlike any other king. So his kingdom is unlike any other kingdom. Jesus' ministry, he spent a lot of time trying to help people understand that. You read through the Gospels, lots of his parables are about the kingdom of God. And what he's trying to help people see is that it's unlike anything that they think of when they think of kingdom. And then when he would uh, gave the Sermon on the Mount, his most epic teaching, right? The whole thing is really about the values of the kingdom. And he's trying to help people see it's way different than the values of this world. And then through his life and his ministry, he was demonstrating what life in the kingdom is like. And so if you go through those things, and I don't have time to, to, to show you everything he said, because like I said, he talked about the kingdom a lot. <laughs> but if you go through those things, what you see is that one of the main themes he says, especially through his parables, is this. You need to know this is how the, my kingdom functions, why it's utterly different than the kingdoms of this world. It's because in my kingdom, the first are last, and the last are first. See, in my kingdom, the calculus of this world is all flipped on its head. The, uh, the poor are exalted. The wealthy are to care for the poor. The, 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 the king is a servant, as Jesus was. He did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. In my, in my kingdom, Jesus is saying, the, uh, the, the outcast the marginalized, they're uh, welcomed in and given uh, the seat of honor at the party. That's how things work in the kingdom of God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would make clear that in, in his kingdom, the poor in spirit are blessed, and those who mourn are comforted. And in, in his kingdom, relationships are prioritized really over everything else. The harmony in relationships, that's what's most important. To so even say, okay, you go to the altar to, to sacrifice God and leave the gift at the altar and run and make things right with your brother who has something against you. It's like, that's how important relationships are in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, Jesus would say, women are not objectified or used but loved and valued. In the, in the kingdom of God, people keep their word. What they say, they do. In the kingdom of God, people are loved, even enemies. Enemies are loved. This is radically different. It's unlike any other kingdom of this world. And in his ministry, what he showed is that in the kingdom of God, lepers are not held at a distance, but brought close and hugged and healed. In the, in the kingdom of God, those who are blind are 
made to see in the kingdom of God. Those who are put on the margins are brought in, made whole. The addicted, the sinner, are made family. That's how things work in the kingdom of God. See, we're, we're to pray for the kingdom to come because uh, it's not only utterly unlike any other kingdom of the world, but it's vastly better than any other kingdom of this world, including your own kingdom. See, if your kingdom is, if God's kingdom is, is where his will is done, then your kingdom could be, you said, it's where your will is done where you're, what you want done is done. And many of us, like especially college students, you're getting a, 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 an expanded kingdom now. You're going off to college, you're at a dorm, and you now have space, and it's your space. Your will will be done in your dorm. It will look like you want it to look. It will be as clean or not clean at all, depending on what you want. You have domain over this area. Your will will be done there. We all have that in some areas. What clothes that we wear, kind of our house, like I said, or most importantly, your character. But man, our kingdoms and the kingdoms of this world, none of them come close to how great and magnificent and joyful, and loving, and healing, and whole, the kingdom of God is. That's why we are to pray for it to come. Because the, the reigning value within the kingdom of God, friends, is love. Agape love, the love of God. Love that is expressed through justice, and compassion, and mercy. Love that heals Love that unites and reconciles people. Love that heals communities and marriages and relationships. Love. It's the best. Because Jesus is the best. Because he's the king. And so his kingdom is unlike any other kingdom. That's why we are to pray for it to come. Now, I should say, that's one of the reasons why we should pray for it to come. The second reason why we should pray for it to come is because it hasn't come fully. It hasn't come fully. See, um, the kingdom of God, and this is kind of like, you gotta wrap your mind around this, but the kingdom of God is actually, we're told here presently, but not completely. Or in the language of theologians, it's now, but it's not yet. See, sometimes Jesus would talk about the kingdom as if it was a present reality. For, look, for example, look back at Mark chapter 1, verse 15, right? This key verse for us today. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Well, that phrase translated as has come near in Greek is the word engizo. And it means, and it's kind of hard to translate into English, but it, it means uh, at hand or has arrived or is available. It, 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 it gets across the message that Jesus is saying, okay, the kingdom of God is it's here. It's available to you. It's, pre, it's a present reality. And so it's here. And yet at the same time, there's other, Jesus would also say things that makes it sound like the kingdom of God is not here or it hasn't fully come. 
For example, again, Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer. What's he say to pray? Lord, your your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, why are we praying that if it's already here? No, we're asking for his kingdom still to come. It's a little bit confusing. How can both of those things be true? Well, here's why. It's because when Jesus Christ came, the king had come. See, uh, the word Christ, as many of y'all you know, know, but it's not Jesus' last name. It was a title, meaning Messiah or anointed king. And so when he came, he brought the kingdom with him. And then through his gracious death, for all who have rejected him, and through his victorious resurrection, Jesus broke the grip of the powers of Satan and sin and death, and he inaugurated the kingdom of God. To, to quote uh, one of my heroes, uh, Timothy Keller, he says, when Jesus rose from the dead, he inaugurated the first stage of the coming of God's kingdom power into the world to restore and to heal all things. See, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection began a revolution that was the turning point to human history. As much as our secular culture wants us to to think about the Enlightenment or scientific revolution or even (laughs) think about the the, the birth of the internet, it's kind of the turning point of the the human experience, right? Where everything changed. The, the, The truth is, There's a reason why we literally measure time itself from the coming of Jesus, the King. It's because things really began to change with the inauguration of the kingdom of God when Jesus entered into human history. So when Jesus came, things radically began to change because the kingdom had come. And you you don't have to take my word for it. Uh, I don't know how many of y'all are familiar with uh, the work of Tom Holland his book, Dominion, is a fantastic read. If you don't know who Tom Holland is, he's, he's a world-respected historian, uh, and he's a secular agnostic. So he's, he's not, a, not a Christ follower. And yet he makes the case in his book, Dominion, that the world began to change for the better when Jesus came. In fact, his book is subtitled, uh, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. And he, he basically argues, and yeah, you know, you need to, I'm not going to give you the full download of the book, but uh, pick it up, read it for yourself. What you'll find is that he, he basically argues that every single thing that you and I consider normal and good in our Western worldview is a byproduct of Jesus. Or to put it another way, uh, almost everything that, that we view as good in our Western world is the result of the kingdom of God breaking in on earth. But friends... <laughs> If the kingdom of God has already come in Christ, then why do we pray for it to come? Well, to quote Dallas Willard again, he answers that question this way in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. Here's what he says. He says, when Jesus directs us to pray that kingdom come, he does not mean that we should pray for it to come into existence. Rather, we pray for it to take over at all points in the personal, social, and political order where it is now excluded on earth as it is in heaven. With this prayer, we are invoking it as in faith we are acting it and into the real world of our daily existence. See, when Jesus came, he brought the kingdom 
with him, but not in full. See, most of it is still to come. And it won't fully come until Jesus returns in his second coming. And so we pray. We pray for the kingdom to come more and more, for Austin to become more and more like heaven. And we pray that, and we need to pray that, because we have evidence all around us that it hasn't fully come, right? I mean, just this week, I was having coffee with a friend at Cherrywood Coffee House, and uh, you know, I look up, and I said, there's all these pictures on the wall. And I recognize uh, that they're actually from the, the Hart Gallery. Any of y'all familiar with the Hart Gallery? Hart Gallery is uh, an organization that works with uh, foster care system and takes pictures, uh, these beautiful portraits, of kids who are available for adoption in our foster care system and who desire to be adopted but haven't been adopted. And I'm looking around this coffee house. I mean, this wall is just completely covered in these pictures. And I'm just gut-wrenching. Like, that is not the way it's supposed to be. See, in the kingdom of God, the lonely are set into families. But in the kingdoms of this world, lonely, the lonely have a picture on the wall at a coffee house, hoping that someone will see it and choose to adopt. Left that coffee house and was driving home. Get a call from a friend of mine whose wife is divorcing him. He is heartbroken. She's leaving him and their kids uh, just because she's decided she wants more out of life. And he, he's devastated by her breaking this promise to him. In the kingdom of this world, we just are taught, like, just run after whatever you want. Not knowing that what, when we often run after whatever we want, we end up finding hell, not heaven. See, friends, we pray for the kingdom of God to come because it has not come fully. Now you ask, okay, well, why hasn't it come fully? right? I mean, why? Why is this the way things are right now in our world? I mean, I just gave you two examples from one day in my life. You open up the news, you'll see a million more. I mean, we all know that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. Why is that? Why has the kingdom of God not come fully? Well, friends, the answer to that question and the third reason for why we are to pray for the kingdom of God to come is the same. And here's the answer. It's because the kingdom of God comes not through force or power, but through love. The kingdom of God doesn't expand through force, but through love. See, uh, (laughs) Jesus, he, he could have come in power to overthrow Rome. 
He could have taken the throne. He could have forced everyone to bow their knee to him. But instead, he came as a humble servant and demonstrated his love in dying for his enemies so that he could free us from the power, as I said, of Satan's sin and death and so that he could win our hearts. See, Jesus' revolution is nothing like the American revolution or the French revolution, the Red Revolution, even the social media revolution. It's a revolution of love. And love is, as a general rule, it takes a lot longer and it's a lot more painful, but it works a whole lot better. This is why when Jesus came, his message wasn't uh, submit and bow down to the king. No, it, his message was uh, repent and believe the good news. Again, Mark 1, 15, what's he say? The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news, which literally, the repent and believe the good news is literally a call to change your mind or your worldview, or your allegiance and believe, or put your trust and your confidence in Jesus to heal you and save you and free you and to lead you into his abundant life. See, the, the call to repent and believe the good news, as Tim Keller says, is much more than merely adopting new beliefs and ethical practices. That entering a kingdom means to come under a new set of allegiances, to grow in new loves, and to submit to new guiding values for your life. And friends, that is what Jesus invites us to do. Listen, all in response to what he has first done for us in love. Which means, as Richard Loveless says in his book, Renewal is a Way of Life, the most crucial battle for the kingdom is one every time a human being repents and believes and submits to the lordship of the Messiah, becoming a new center for the reordering of life on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, this is why the kingdom of God expands slowly. It's because it doesn't expand through coercive force, but through agape love. Through God's love, most clearly displayed in Jesus, and for the invitation for people to respond to his love with joy, joyful repentance and belief. That's how the kingdom expands. And because of God's priority on love, because God is love, it does expand slowly. Which brings us to the final question for us today. That being, well, then how do we participate in its coming? Because we want it to come faster. So how do we participate in its coming? Well, let me hit you know, three more things, but I'll move faster through these three. The first is one that I have said already a number of times. We pray. We pray. We, we do as Jesus said to do. We pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth and in Austin as it is in heaven. Friends, we are to Pray and pray and pray. And I want to ask you once again, church family, to, to make this your daily prayer. 
that every day that you would pray for God's kingdom to come. Because listen, we can't make it happen on our own. It's God that's doing it because God is the only one who can awaken people to his love and draw them to himself that they would enter his kingdom. And so we pray, we pray and pray and pray. That's the first thing that we do. The second thing, how do we participate in the coming of the kingdom? The second thing we can do is that we practice the way of Jesus together. We practice the way of Jesus together. Or put it another way, we seek to follow Jesus, to be his apprentice, to apprentice under him or be, allow him to disciple us in his way of living so that he can form us through his spirit and make us into people of love. Now, next week, we're going to talk a lot more about that. But so now, just suffice it to say, this is a critical way that we participate in the coming of the kingdom. It's by being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus and doing what he did, that as we do that, he shapes us and makes us into citizens of his kingdom, which then has an impact on our city. Because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. And then the third thing, the third way that we participate in the kingdom's coming is this. It's by inviting others to repent and believe the good news. It's by inviting others to repent and believe the good news. See, this is a key way to participate because it is the primary way that the good news of the gospel actually gets to people. Like I think about in chapter 10, verse 13 through 15 in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul makes this point when he writes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one who they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so friends, we have to go and we have to be good news bearers, letting other people know that the king has come and what he's done for them so that they can have the opportunity to hear the good news and respond and repent and believe. On January 1st, 1863, uh, President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, which declared, quote, uh, all who are held as slaves in the rebellious states are and shall be with that proclamation, the end of the atrocity of slavery had been inaugurated. However, in order for that freedom to actually come, the news of that proclamation had to be taken throughout the nation. And so after the Emancipation Proclamation, every advance of the Union troops into slaveholding territories brought with it the freedom and the reality of that proclamation. And because Texas was the furthest slave-holding state away from the announcement, it took much longer for it to be enforced in our state. In fact, it wasn't until two and a half years later. On June 19th, 1865, that the Emancipation Proclamation was enforced 
implemented and realized in Texas. That's, of course, what we celebrate on Juneteenth, and we should absolutely celebrate that. So for two and a half years, slaves in Texas lived in an already but not yet tension. They were, in one very true sense, legally free, but they were also in another true and horrific sense, not free. Their freedom had been proclaimed and inaugurated, but the freedom had not yet been realized. The realization of that freedom depended on the advancement of the good news through agents of freedom, union troops, including 200,000 African-Americans who were liberated and became liberators themselves. Friends, our, our world is in, in an already but not yet state of being. The kingdom of God has been proclaimed by and inaugurated through Jesus, but it is not yet fully realized by most people in our world or in our city. Just as the Emancipation Proclamation had to be advanced by the agents of freedom, the realization of the kingdom of God will require the agents of the kingdom, agents of freedom, the church, you and me, to sacrificially serve others in love by taking the liberating message to our city and beyond. And friends, as we do, and as we pray, and as we follow Jesus, God's kingdom will more fully come in Austin. And his agape love will reign more fully And his peace and joy will be the experience of more people. And the lonely will be put into families. And the marriages will be sustained and they will begin to thrive. And fractured communities will be made whole. And the overlooked will be welcomed in. And the lost children of God will be found. Friends, that is why our church exists. That's what we're about. That's why this is our big prayer. And that's what I want to today invite you to join me in. See, for God's glory and for the good of our city, let's participate in seeing the kingdom of God come more fully in Austin. May his kingdom come. May his will be done in Austin as it is in heaven. You with me? Yeah? Sweet. Okay. Well, then I'll... I won't keep talking. If you weren't with me, I was just going to have to keep going. So I want to invite the servers to go prepare our communion elements. We're going to end this message by taking communion together. And if you're new with us, you know, we, we actually do this every Sunday. And this morning, as we partake in communion together, I want to just give you an opportunity to uh, reflect on uh, what Jesus our king did to enable us to actually be able to enter into his kingdom. See, uh, the only way we could be freed from the kingdom of this world and brought into the kingdom of God 
as if the king himself would pay our ransom by dying in our place. The king, only the king would do that. But amazingly, friends, that's exactly what Jesus did. Colossians 1, verses 13 through 14 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That Jesus, in dying for us, rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And through faith in what he did, as we repent and believe, he brings us into his kingdom. But in order to do that, the king's body had to be broken. The king's blood had to be spilled out in order for us to be redeemed, to be reconciled to God, and have our sins atoned for, and for us to be adopted into the family of God. This is what the king, friends, has done for us. And so this morning, as before we take communion together, I want to just give you a second to reflect on that. To just personally, between you and Jesus, thank him. The king died for you so you can be brought into his kingdom. Reflect on that now, and then we will take these elements together once everybody has received. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Mm-hmm.